about willing to say there's going to be a time that comes that my life on this side of heaven is going to be over and I need to live now the way I want to live so I have no regrets if I have a moment in that last moment so don't forget what is not be prepared live life now not putting it off till later and this is important I believe many of us need to make some things right because you may not have to it's not a scare tactic that's reality People don't often use the word persevere when talking about doing things that are easy. You don't persevere to finish that donut or take a nap. Perseverance is for things that are hard, which is how you'll hear the word used in today's message. When you stop pursuing excellence in your life, persevering in your work for the Lord, you won't progress. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verse 11, with his continuing study entitled, guidance. While the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus is saying, listen, you need to count the cost. And the beauty of counting the cost is that everything you do costs you something. That's the reality. Everything, in a sense, is economics. You're willing to give something for something else. And if you are saying, I'm going to give my life to entertainment or to consumerism or to this, there's a cost to that. And God asks, you think about how Jesus ends this thing. If you don't forsake what? All. You can't be my disciple. I love Jesus. Because Jesus was no nonsense, wasn't he? He's like, look, unless I am your top priority, you can't be my disciple. Now, I realize America tells us a different story when it comes to Jesus. It says, look, you can just add Jesus in your census box under spirituality, and you can just live however you want, and you can have Jesus, and you get out of jail free card. And I'm here to tell you that's not Christianity. That's not. That's American culture with a veneer of Jesus. But guess what? The king of kings should not be a veneer. He needs to be the driving passion and principle of our lives. And I realize that's a radical statement. But I'm here to tell you, when you say, God, I forsake all my other things and I'm following after you, you know what God starts doing? He starts giving you all those things that you enjoy back. But now they're in the right place. They don't drive your life. They're just something that you get to enjoy along the way. It is not your God. He is your God. And these things become true areas of enjoyment for us. And don't get me wrong. Some things he never gives us back because we can't handle it. Or it's not good for us. But praise God for that. So brothers and sisters, there's wisdom in planning. And I want to encourage you, be intentional about your life. Be intentional. Don't waste what God has given you. You need to sit down. You need to make a plan. You need to sharpen that axe so that you can cut down that tree and have energy to spare. You need to be intentional. And if you don't do it, no one will do it for you. God will not impose it on you. You have to say, Lord, I want to be intentional. I want to plan. Look what happens in verse 11. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. 
The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. The lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No one knows what it will be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them, and they do not even know how to go to the city. Now, we've seen this already. All wisdom literature at some point talks about what we talk about, our speech, the content of what we share verbally in the world. And so, quite simply, I have think before you speak. Think before you speak. And this is very popular. It's on um, Obadiah's second grade classroom wall in Miss Peebles' class here at Crossroads. Think, T-H-I-N-K. Before you speak, is it true? Second, H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Now notice, I don't say T before you speak, because most of us, you have the truth, right? And you go to speak, but you're forgetting, is it actually helpful? Is it inspiring? Sometimes, some of us are a little brutal with the truth, aren't we? I'm right. That's no good. No good. Because that's not kind. So we need to think before we speak. And we've seen this already. We've talked about this in so many different ways. What you find in these verses is that he's saying a serpent, a snake will bite. And guess what? A babbler, somebody who uses foolish speak, they'll bite too. Unprovoked. The problem with our speech is that it hurts sometimes. I had a pastor who once told me, I told him, I'm like, Pastor Andy, I feel called to go into the ministry. He's like, oh, Daniel, don't do it. Don't do it. Great counsel, you know. He's like, don't do it. I'm like, dude, you're a pastor. He's like, no, 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 man. When sheep bite, they bite hard. I'm here to tell you sometimes. God's people can be just downright mean. You know why? Because we all can be downright mean, can't we? So you got to think before you speak. You need to watch that mouth. Notice what it says here. There's the juxtaposition between Foolish talk and wise talk. Look at what it says. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. There it is. God wants us to speak grace. When you think about what grace is, grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Our words should be full of grace, seasoned with salt. We need to be gracious. But notice, so a wise man's speech is gracious, but a foolish The lips of the fool shall swallow him up. (laughs) Yikes. What it says is that when you speak foolishly, your own words consume you ultimately. Now, for some of you who have been graced with that quiet, pensive spirit, and it's a little easier for you because you don't have to catch things that you say after you've already said them. I envy that because I'm the guy who's always wishing I can go back and reel that thing back in after it's over. But listen, God wants you to use your words to build up, not to tear down, to inspire and to help people draw closer to Jesus, not push them farther away. Don't allow your words to consume you. And I I say that as a person who is learning how to do this every day, how not to say things that I realize later aren't a good thing to say. So think before you speak. 
A fool also multiplies his words. Notice that. I've always said, and I've heard it said, that if you don't, there's a proverb, not in the Bible, it's one of those world proverbs, that rather to say nothing and be thought a fool than open your mouth and dispel all doubt. How many of us, when we don't know what to say, we just start talking, right? It's like that nervous chatter, always bad. That never works. You always get yourself into a hole when you do that. And so it's interesting. The fool multiplies words. And notice, no man knows what, will, what is to be, verse 14. Who can tell him what will be after? The idea is, is that in our wisdom, we have to realize that nobody knows the future. One of the things that I find most interesting, especially when people are frustrated with you, they have painted a picture of the future that they are absolutely sure is going to happen. But is that actually going to happen? When was the last time you predicted the future properly? Yeah, right? So part of our wisdom needs to be like, we don't know what the future holds. You don't know if something's going to work or if it's not going to work. We all have an idea. I think this is going to work, but we all realize that the things that we think, time and chance happens to all things. So we have to be careful in our speech not to pretend that we actually know how things are going to work out because there is that element of time, chance, and God's providence. So keep that in, in the things that you choose to talk about. Make sure you realize you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. You don't know what is or isn't going to work. How many people probably told Noah, dude, what are you doing building this big boat? Nobody had boats, you know what I mean? It's like in the middle of the desert. What, what do you need a boat for? We're in the middle of the desert. Oh, it's silly. God's going to judge the world with rain. Yeah, oh yeah, Noah is. He needs some Prozac. He's not making sense. Not making sense. But Noah knew because God told him what the future is going to be. But very few of us can claim that. So you have to think before we speak. Now look at verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the building decays. And through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Now, you notice here, they're saying that the land is blessed when a leader is mature and the rulers are mature. The idea is simply, if your king is a child, they're not speaking of age, they're speaking of maturity. When your princes feast in the morning, when the idea is they, they wake up and begin to get drunk. So that's foolish leadership and that curses a land as opposed to mature leadership when your king is the son of prince. So it's not about age, it's about maturity. Somebody who's been raised properly. Somebody, when their princes feast at the proper time, not that there's never a time to feast, just the morning's not the best time. What does this all teach us? Because we want to put the, we want to put it where we live, is that we need to lead with steadfastness. We need to lead with steadfastness. See, the problem with the king who's a child is they have a, a tendency to be childish. If the princes, the people who are part of the ruling class are getting drunk in the morning, they're not going to be steadfast. If someone's a son of a prince 
or if the princes feast at the proper times, there is a steadfastness. And if you look at how this thing moves, by the time you get to verse 18, because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. See, what he's saying is that in the areas of leadership you have, you need to be steadfast. You don't want to be lazy. You don't want to be idle. This, again, gets to that point of intentionality in your life. He's saying that if you are idle or lazy, you're going to let things slide that you shouldn't let slide. And so all of us, I believe, have been given places of leadership in your family, in your school, at your job. And the beauty of leadership as defined by Jesus is it's not given by position, it's given by the intention of the heart. Jesus was the king of kings and lord of lords, but nobody actually knew it, and he servant-led right where he was in the highways and byways where he lived. The people of God have always done this. Very rarely in the history of the church have God's people been in places of power, but they servant-lead in their community. And we need to lead the areas that we have control over with steadfastness. We don't want to be lazy. We don't want to be idle. We don't want to let things slip or slide that are really important. And this section is about that. The problem with a prince who will feast in the morning is he's lazy and idle. He's not intentional about the things that need to be done properly. And I'm here to tell you, being persevering in steadfastness is hard, isn't it? That's a hard thing to keep on keeping on. I was, I don't know if you guys know this. I was, you guys probably don't. I'll just tell you. On AMC, Rocky Marathon. And listen, I've seen the Rocky movies a million times, and I like them every time. And sure enough, my favorite, Rocky III, because that was the first one I saw. I'm a young guy, you know. Mr. T, got a lot of mo, got a lot of mo. One day I'm going to come in with a Mr. T mohawk. It'd be so fun. It'd be ugly, but it'd be fun, you know what I mean? Rocky III is all about Rocky learning how to persevere. Because there's this great, there's this amazing scene where he's sitting, he's talking to his manager, Mick, and Mick's like, you can't fight Mr. T. He was called Clubber Lang. Why? Because you ain't been hungry since you won that belt. That guy will kill you. And what he's saying to him, he's saying, Mick, the trainer is saying, Rocky, you don't want it anymore. You're not hungry. And sure enough, he goes out. Mickey ends up dying. Clubber Lang totally kicks Rocky's butt up one side and down the other side. And what happens? Apollo Creed shows up, says, Rocky, you need to get the eye of the tiger again. There's this beautiful scene where Rocky's given up and his wife is talking to him and just being like, look, you need to want this. You need to be able to live with yourself. And Rocky, as, it all, as all Rocky movies end up, Rocky finds it. He finds that steadfastness. He's willing to train harder. He's willing to not give up and not let the defeats of the past break him down. And sure enough, he goes on out there and he knocks Clubber Lang out in the third round. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to bed on that note. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm ready for church tomorrow, you know? Yes. Brothers and sisters, we need to find that. Some of you are like Rocky before you find that eye of the tiger again. Some of you have let the mistakes of yesterday The issues of the past break you down. And you don't have the eye of the tiger. You don't want it anymore. You stop pursuing your spouse. You stop pursuing excellence in your moral life. You stop saying, God, I'm going to let you use me because life is messy. But we need to lead with steadfastness. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And brothers, sisters, we need to lead with steadfastness, man. Ben, we need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, never not abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that our labor is not in vain. Beautiful. Now, look at what happens next. Chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days, giving a serving of seven and also to eight. For you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything in the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, what is this all about? We need to take a venture in faith and be diligent. That's what this is all about. Take a venture in faith and be diligent. When it says, cast your bread upon the waters, and you will find it after many days. That was a merchant term. Somebody who would take their goods and put it on a boat and send it out, trusting that it will come back. The idea of nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's what this is about. You need to take a venture in faith. You need to be willing to say, I'm going to step out in the things that God has in front of me. He says, look, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If a tree falls, that's where it lays. He who observes the wind will not sow, verse 4, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. That's where I get and be diligent. You need to take a venture in faith and you need to be diligent. Why? Because like we said, there's always risk. How many of us are not taking a venture in faith because we're in analysis paralysis? It's going to rain. I shouldn't sow. It's going to be windy. It's not going to work. I'm going to step out in faith. Oh, it's not a good time. I got to get the kids to soccer practice. It's just, you know, and we never step out. But brothers and sisters, we need to take a venture in faith and we need to keep going. See, he realizes that there is going to be God's providence involved. There's certain things we don't know. We don't know the way of the wind. You don't know how the bones in the womb are built. That's an interesting one. You say, well, science knows. How many of you can explain to me how bones form in, in a mother's womb? Yeah, that's what I thought. You know that it happened. How exactly it happens? There's some mystery there. But brothers and sisters, we need to take a venture in faith and we need to be diligent. You need to step on out. And so I want to encourage you, go read Hebrews chapter 11 in your spare time today. We call this the hall of faith, where these people who stepped out in faith, you hear their stories. And the stories are crazy. They're crazy stories. But they took a venture in faith. And brothers and sisters, you need to take a venture in faith because God meets you when you're walking by faith and not by sight. For too many of us, our lives are too safe, too predictable. When God wants you just to launch out, take a venture in faith. Be willing to say, God, I'm gonna go all in on this thing because you're asking me to. Some guidance for us. Take a venture in faith. Look at verse seven. Truly the light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, 
Yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Six, we need to, don't forget what is not. Don't forget what is not. This idea is when your eyes see the sun, it means that you're alive. And we've been seeing a lot of this, haven't we? Where he says like, hey, when you're alive, you have hope. If you're dead, that's over now. It's all done. And so what he's saying here is that if a man's eyes see the sun, right, this man has the opportunity to live in light. He has life. But notice what it says. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, which is a Hebrew way of saying the days of death, when death happens, right? For they will be many. So, and we've talked about this a lot here through the book of Ecclesiastes, that there's a part of life that you need to think about what not life is going to be about. It inclines our hearts to wisdom. When you start realizing that you're not going to have infinite time to do everything you ever dreamed of, you might not have tomorrow to say, I'm sorry, to reconcile a relationship, to fix something that you've wronged. And so part of life is about willing to say, there's going to be a time that comes that my life on this side of heaven is going to be over. And I need to live now the way I want to live so I have no regrets if I have a moment in that last moment. So don't forget what is not. Be prepared. Live life now, not putting it off till later. And this is important. I believe many of us need to make some things right because you may not have to. That's not a scare tactic. That's reality. It's not fun. That's just real. You just don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know. Today could be your last day to say I love you, to say I'm sorry. Today might be the last day for some of you to give your life to Jesus. Tomorrow you get no shot at it. And that's not a scare tactic, but we need to, we all live in light of eternity. We've, We've had it here. We lost a number of young people, tragically, in a moment in time. So grateful that these folks had put their faith and trust in Jesus didn't realize it was going to be their last day. So we've, it's really real for us here because we've seen it. It's happened. So don't forget, even though you have life now, don't forget there's going to become a day when life is going to be over. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the day of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. So this closes here with the exhortation to be spiritually mature. It's kind of a a crazy statement. He begins, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. He's saying, listen, you young people, enjoy being young. That's what it says. Do what's in your heart when you're young. You might think, wow, that's some crazy statement, right? Telling all the young people just to be young and crazy. But then notice what it says. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Ouch. Some of you need to tweet that on our YOLO hashtag. Jesus is real. In today's message from Ecclesiastes, Pastor Daniel spoke about intentionality. We all have leadership in some regard, and we can't be lazy about it. 
we were challenged to take a venture in faith, to stop with the excuses and just go for it. It was a sobering message that we don't know what tomorrow holds. And though we have life now, we don't know when it will be over. All the more reason to make every day count. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced for messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the next time you join us here on Jesus is Real Radio, we will be nearing the end of our study through Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12 reminds us about what is really important, what's temporary, and what's eternal. We try to build our identities on so many things, but there's nothing that satisfies outside of Jesus. Pastor Daniel will help us to understand how the writer of Ecclesiastes is instructing us to live for God. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled, You Only Live Once, next time. Until then, may God bless.